Campbell writes about a terrible thing that happened just a few years ago. A vandal ran into the art museum in Amsterdam with a knife. He ran up to a priceless Rembrandt painting and slashed it to ribbons. Just a short time after that, another vandal snuck into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome with a hammer. He took his hammer and began to smash Michelangelo's beautiful sculpture of Mary holding the crucified body of Jesus called the, called the Pieta. Now, if you've seen either of those priceless works right after that vandal had done those things, those two vandals, you would look at them and said, there's no way they could be restored. They go to the garbage. However, in the hands of the most expertise, gifted people and the experts available and the gifted artists, those masterpieces were indeed restored and you can go see them today. Now, as we look at our story in the text, it had been 70 years, 70 years since Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. And if you had seen it then, you would look at it and say, there is no way this temple can be restored. There's, there's no way anyone can do it. But God had a plan. Aren't you glad that God always has a plan? Just when you think you can't go on one more moment, one more day, God has a plan. Even though the people had been disobedient, God had a plan for their restoration as well as for the temple. And we have seen that God has already restored his, the remnant and the resources. Now it's time for God to restore the people's responsibility. And up to this place, a restoration has been taking place in Babylon, but now it's going to take place in Jerusalem. Now it's interesting as we look at these verses that scriptures says nothing of their journey. That journey wouldn't have been around thousand miles or so from Babylon back to Jerusalem. But scripture is silent about that journey. Verse 68, we see it when they came. It's just like all of a sudden they're in Babylon but now they're in Jerusalem. It would take a while to get there. And it reminds us that just because they had arrived physically does not mean they had really arrived. And just because they were done with their journey did not mean they were prepared for the task. See, taking that journey was the first step in obedience in following God. There are responsibilities that now come with following God. And some people today think that becoming a Christian simply means to walk an aisle and say a prayer. Now, salvation is crucial. Crucial. You have to place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or you're not saved. Step one. Following him in obedience to baptism is important because that is a public confession of your faith as an outward symbol of what's taken place in your heart already. But that's not the end. That's just the beginning. There are responsibilities that come with being a Christian. In other words, I am to be in the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ every day. And that takes work. It doesn't happen naturally. I have to get in the habit of reading Scripture. I have to get in the habit of praying. I have to get in the habit of going to church and be surrounded by like-minded people to help me on this journey. Did it ever occur to you why our small groups, Sunday school, are usually uh, divided out by age group? 
It's not because the schools do it that way. It's because you get into a group of people that are going on the same path of life's journey with you. and You have some things in common and you can talk about how God helps you here and how God has helped you here. And you can encourage somebody who may be going through that now and say, hey, I was once where you're at. Let me tell you how God got me through it. So this becoming a Christian is huge, no doubt about it. You have to come to Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first step. But that's not where it stops. There's more to it than that. I think a lot of times we rob ourselves of so many blessings. We rob ourselves of so much more if we simply become a Christian and become a spectator sitting in the pew rather than a soldier for Christ up and going out and telling others. We rob ourselves. It, it, it bothers me sometimes that so many people think, well, I'm not smart enough. Or I can't. God gives you gifts. You can reach people I never can reach. God's given you areas of influence. Where you work, your friends, your family. God wants to use you. God probably wanted all those people to go back to Jerusalem, but only a remnant went. We should eagerly and joyfully fulfill our responsibilities as Christians. And with that, let's look at the text starting in verse 68. Some of the heads of the father's households, when they arrived at the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered willingly for the house of God to restore it on its foundation. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas and 5,000 silver minyas and 100 priestly garments. Now the priests and the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived or settled in their cities, and all Israel settled in their cities. Some of the head of the father's household, not all of them, but just some of them lined up and gave a free will offering so the temple could be rebuilt. They did exactly what the head of the household is supposed to do, to lead their families in a way by example to accept the financial responsibility to rebuild the temple. We do not know how many actually gave to oppose who didn't give. Why is that? Newsflash. You ready for this? God doesn't need their money, and he doesn't need yours. God does not depend on our giving. didn't depend on their giving. But he gives us the responsibility of giving. In fact, I'm going to jump ahead. In Malachi, God says, test me in this to see if I won't open up the windows of heaven to bless you. God says, you think you can outgive me? Let's see it. Test me on this, he says. But he doesn't depend. God doesn't need anything from you or me. Nothing. He is self-sufficient. But he allows us the privilege and the honor to serve him. And so doing, receive blessings of seeing him work in other people's lives as well as our own. These heads of their families fulfilled that responsibility. And by doing so, they were an example to others. Now, I must caution us at this point. There's a difference in being showy or showing off or giving to be example to your family. In fact, 
the people mentioned in this context is mentioned with their families. There's no indication their example was to people outside their families. We must be careful we don't give out of pride. Look how much money I gave. I'm more spiritual than you. I give all the money around here. It wasn't for me. The church would collapse and go and shut its doors. We better not ever say that. Because God, his work is not dependent upon you and I. God will do whatever is necessary to get his work done. I'm reminded of a story you can find in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. The widow's might. Let me set this up for you. Jesus is talking to his disciples in the temple area. And then during that time, since they were spread out all over the place, some lived in Jerusalem, some lived uh, because after the, the kingdoms were divided and conquered, some came back, some did not. So they came to the temple. They had to change their money into temple currency. So it'd be all one. So they changed their money into it. And they have these, back of a better word, a coffer, if you will. And they would drop their coins in there. Of course, it would make a little Ting, 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 ting sound. So imagine this. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and this is going on behind him. People are dropping money in. And making all this noise. All of a sudden, he hears, cheek. And that moment, Jesus stops, and he tells the disciples, look what's in verse 43 of Mark chapter 12. He says, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put all that she owned, all that she had to live on. So all these people dropping all this money in, but because of how she gave, the attitude of her heart, Jesus says, aha, that's how you're supposed to give. You don't give to earn favor. You don't give to get the applause of men. You give with a willing heart, a thankful heart, an obedient heart. And... People here in our story or be an example in giving and so doing, they prove to be an example to their families. Look what it says next in the text. When they arrived at the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, they had already traveled a long distance. Now, this is before cars and airplanes. Imagine walking with about 42, a little over 42,000 people. Live in the wilderness, walking for weeks on end to get to Jerusalem. It's a long journey. Remember, they took up some contributions from them to help them make that journey. So here they are. They make the journey. Perhaps they're a little tired. And now they're standing in this majestic house of the Lord taking up an offering. Well, no, not exactly. The temple had been destroyed. Let me just paint the scene for you. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us about the condition of the temple at this time. See, when Nebuchadnezzar came in to Jerusalem, he ordered the commander of his army to destroy the temple because he wanted someone who's going to do it right. So the commander of the army went in there and he stripped everything of value out of that temple. He had men go in there take anything of value out that they could get their hands on. Completely stripped the temple bare. After that, he lit it on fire to burn it. But that wasn't good enough. Couldn't leave it as a smoldering ruin. Then he had the temple completely leveled. And Josephus tells us that it laid even to the ground. It was completely gone. Just a pile of rubble. Now picture yourself with these people. There they are standing in front of that rubble. That pile. And yet they still call it the house of God. They still recognize it as a place that God has set aside for his temple, even though it was laying in ruin. 
Now, just as a side note, imagine coming here this morning. You're ready for worship. You're, you're, you're ready to go, and you've been praying, and what's going on in your life? I can't wait to get there. I'm ready to go. And you get there. This place was vandalized, not only vandalized, it was burned, and it was level with the ground. What would go through your heart and mind if you pulled up and saw that this morning? Trying to get you to be there with those people in this moment as they're standing there looking at that rubble. There they are. You know, I have been in front of some huge church buildings around this country. There's some beautiful houses of worship. I mean, just, just gigantic. You have tremendous, unimaginable facilities and ministries. And I'm not knocking anything they're doing. There's a lot of good stuff going on. But when I stood there and I go and I see these places on vacation or as I'm traveling, I look at them, but you know what? As beautiful as they are, and everything they're doing, it's not my church home. You know why that is? Because God didn't call me there. God called me here, to Forestburg, to serve him with this local body. See, before you join a local body, you need to pray to ask God, is this where you want me to serve? We have to shift the paradigm in our culture where I don't join a church because of all the goods and services they offer, but I join the church first and foremost because this is where God wants me to serve. And some of you have been serving here for a very long time and seen a lot of things come and go, but one reason this church is here is because your faithful obedience to serve God through this local body come what may. But it's so easy to jump shift when things get bad, isn't it? I was told at a pastor's conference one time, the pastor is always green on the other side till you get there to discover there's a septic tank underneath that green part of the grass. Or I've heard it say, you think it's green till you get there and discover it's artificial turf. So I have to take... As a pastor, even as a member, I have to take joining a church very seriously. This is where God wants me to serve. These people saw that temple, saw a complete ruin, and they were committed to say, this is where God wants this temple. He wants us to rebuild it, and we're sold out to it. And that's what they did. <laughs> you see in the text, they, they took up an offering. I'm not saying that we shouldn't support other ministries. Uh, there's ministries out there we're supporting, but my first priority and responsibility is to this local church with my time and my talents and my financial resources. If I give to others, that's fine. I'm not saying, but our first priority should be the local church. When they came to the house of the Lord, they gave. And we come to the house of the Lord, we should give. Look what it says, they offered willingly. For the house of God to restore it on its foundation. There they are standing at that rubble pile. And that word in the Hebrew that's translated offered willingly is used 17 times in the Old Testament. Not one time is it dependent on any outside circumstances. That means they give it with no strings attached. Does that mean that we shouldn't have any say so how the church spends money? No, that's what we have a budget for. But the point is that when they gave, they didn't talk about what the color of the carpet was going to be, if there's going to be ceiling fans or restrooms. They said, no, here's a need, let's give to it. 
They didn't give to a specific program, not to a pet project. They gave freely, knowing that they were giving to the Lord. Not everyone gave the same amount. They gave according, look what it says, according to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work. Now, we are to tithe. We see that in Scripture. But that's the minimum. Sometimes God leads us to want to give more than that. In Malachi 3.10, we read, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Here it comes, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Here's the thing about giving. It's not so much how, you, how much you give, but it comes down to only something you know and God knows, and that is the condition of the heart. I'm just speculating when they went back to Jerusalem and saw the destruction. I can't help but think they're, they're a human just like I am. I wonder if anyone was discouraged. Is that why only some people gave when they saw the destruction? Eh, it ain't worth it. Come on, they were human beings just like we are. But yet some of them still saw the need and they gave. What's... Our attitudes when we give, are we like the Macedonians that we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3? For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. How about later in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7? Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Tithing is probably one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn. And I'm still learning. Because somehow I think it's one of those things I want to have control of but don't want to have control of. It's one area of my life, you know, well, I have bills to pay. I've got to do this. How are we going to? Instead of saying, God, here it is. It's not just financial, it's of our time, of our talents and resources. God is pulling this local body together. You're not here by random choice. He's leading you here, or if you're not a member, he's possibly leading you here or has led you here because of certain abilities and talents that he's given you that he knows that are needed here in order to fulfill his purpose and his kingdom work here at Forestburg. All of us have a vital part to play. Let me, let me just illustrate that one more way. When I went and saw Miss Exa in the hospital, Last Tuesday, she was telling me, I've heard so many things about happening at church. Oh, it's so wonderful that I'll have to, I won't know anybody there. So many new people have come, and I said, yes. And I said, Miss Exa, you have a part to play in it. She goes, no, I don't. Yes, you do. I said, you pray? She goes, yes. And I said, you have a vital part to play in it. Then. Because of your prayers, God is answering those prayers, and we see that fruit bearing. So you have a vital part to play. Don't ever think. That you don't have any part to play in the body of Christ. We all bring different gifts and talents and resources, and we pull those together for one common goal, one common purpose, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it does tell us here in the text how much they gave 61,000 gold drachmas and 5,000 silver minyas and 100 priestly garments. Now, there's a lot of debate about that word translated as drachma because that's Greek. 
Now, Persians used money back in those ancient days called derricks, and there were thick gold coins. Each one was probably worth a was worth a four days' wage. They gave sixty one thousand. What was it? Sixty one thousand of these things. I don't have much money that was, but it was a lot. Now, minya is a pound, so they gave over two tons of silver on top of the gold. And, of course, the hundred priestly garments just icing on the cake. Here's the point of the text. They didn't give. Boy, they overgave. They gave abundantly. They didn't skip around. They, they gave. And that's the result of their giving. And, of course, that would lead to the rebuilding of the temple. Now, bear with me, because now we come to the end of chapter, and you see it says about now the priests, the Levites, and some of the people, they went off and lived their cities. I'm just taking the text at face value. It looks like to me when they got to Jerusalem, the first place they went was the side of the temple. Because they got to the temple, this when this giving took place. Now they go off and settle down. Let me ask you something. When you move, what's usually the first thing that you do if you're going to move to a new place? Find a place to live. Got to have an apartment. Got to have a house. They didn't do that. It looks like to me that after they went to the to temple first and took care of that business, then they went out and found a place to live. Now, I know people could argue the other way. Well, maybe that's just how they... They told it. Maybe they went and found a place to live. Then, well, I'm just taking the text at face value. That says when they, when they came to the temple that was in Jerusalem, then they talk about how they settled. They took an offering up for the temple even before they found out where they're going to live. And you know what hit me with a two-by-four when I was reading the text early this week? You know God hit me upside the head, sort of, not literally, but figuratively. He says, Tim, what's your priority in giving? Oh, oh, ouch. Me really stop and think the priority of my giving. Because as the head of the household and as a pastor, I need to be setting the example, don't I? At least to say that was one of the discussions I had with God. It wasn't very pleasant, but really got my attention. And go further with it. What is your priority in giving to the Lord's house? And where is that place in your list of priorities? Is it a high priority or a low priority? A lot of times, I'm guilty of this. It's like many of you. I'll increase my tithe after I get that new job, after I get the new car, after my savings account is built up. But God is looking for our first fruits, not our leftovers. He's looking at the example that you have set to your family with your giving. And he's also looking at your attitude that you have when you give and also the priority in which you give it. One of the Ten Commandments is not to make a graven image, not to have idols. And a lot of times we get wrapped up in thinking it's a little idol like this big and people. No, an idol is anything that comes between you and God. Let me be more specific. It's anything that takes the first place that God rightfully deserves. So I'm not just the text is not just talking about giving financially, but to me, the more overwhelming theme is where's the priority of God in my life? Or is he just something I do on the side? Is he first and foremost? 
Here's a question for me. How you see me on Sunday when you see me here in the, in the community, would I feel comfortable enough you follow me into my workplace and see how I handle my other coworkers? How to interact with them? Does things make me mad? Do, am I an example? Am I showing Christ to my coworkers at the airport just like I do here? Well, better yet, let's get a little closer home. How about if you were to follow me to Walmart this afternoon? How would I act if someone cut me off? If the lines are long. How about when I drive in traffic? I heard a comedian say the reason why he doesn't, well, a lot of people don't put that fish on the back bumper of their car because they want people to know they're Christians when they're cutting people off and driving like maniacs. But let's wrap this thing up. Does talking about money and church offend you? Does preaching stewardship make you feel uncomfortable and or mad? Have you ever noticed what happens when you go to the doctor? You have that nice, lovely little area you have to sit on with the tissue paper and what you sit there and the doctor comes in. He or she looks at you, asks you what's wrong. The nurse has been in to take your vitals. And you say, I'm hurting right here. So they start pushing in a problem. I was talking to my brother back there about having gout. I remember when I was first diagnosed with gout, it was 3 o'clock in the morning. He told me to take off my shoe. He put my heel in his hand, and he reached for my big toe, and I told him, if you pull on that big toe, I'm not responsible. I do to you or to this room. He goes, it hurts that bad? I said, yes, yeah, 3 o'clock in the morning. Ask me that question again. Don't touch it. But that's what they do. They ask, does this hurt? Does that hurt? And if you answer yes, maybe they're poking too hard, or there's something wrong. Inside your body, they're trying to distinguish what is wrong so they can prescribe medication to you to make you get better. I pray that when I preach, only that texts that deal with money or any sermon, that I do not poke the wrong way. Because if I'm faithful to the text, it's not Tim that's doing the poking, it's the Holy Spirit. A lot of people say, Tim, you stepped on my toes. First of all, it's not me stepping on your toes. Second of all, that's a little too low because God's always aiming for the heart. And when you feel that poking, you feel that tug, that's the Holy Spirit getting our attention to say, Hey, what about you and your life? Are you, am I being an example to our family in the way that we give? Do we have the right attitude when we give? And giving to the Lord's house or giving the Lord's house, is it taking the right priority in my life? And so I quick, I'm just going to end with this question. How will we respond to the Holy Spirit this morning? Will you quench him? Or are you going to respond to him? So first thing first, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you're a member of the church. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm not asking you if you've given anything. I'm asking you a simple question. Do you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? A living, vital relationship. Here's another question. If you were to die today, where would you go? And you know without a shadow of a doubt where that destination may be. If you feel some uncertainty in your heart, if you feel some tugging going on, Perhaps that is the Holy Spirit saying, now is the time to get it right. That's between you and God. If you've done that, then praise God. 
And this message talking about giving, is there tugging going on about your priority that you're giving God in your life? Are you being an example to your family? Are you giving in the right way? You know, sometimes I hate to even say this. It may make some of you mad. But I think some of us Americans, we come to church. We think we're doing God, God a favor. Hey, I'm here, aren't I? Wait a second. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need stamping all over the text, stuttering and whatnot. God doesn't need me to do that. He, he called me to do it and give me the privilege to do it. Here we are. God has a plan. Always have, always will have one. God has a plan for Forestburg Baptist Church. It's still here. He still wants to use it. He is using it. He's proven to say faithful and faithful again. And on the personal side, I don't care where you're at right now, what crisis you may or may not be going through. But you are a created being in the image of God. Your worth far precedes anything this world can ever comprehend. How do I know that? The cross of Christ. Don't let anyone tell you you're not worth anything, not your trash. You are a created being. By God. And right now he's calling out to you. My son, my daughter, come to me. Let me put my loving arms around you and hold you close. Perhaps some of you just need to get where you're at. And just perhaps weep before God. Perhaps some of you need to go across the aisle. You need to come down here and pray. Whatever it is, please do business with God this morning. He desires that. He desires that relationship from you. Where is he in your list of priorities this morning? In your time, your talents, and your giving. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness and your love that far goes beyond anything we can possibly ever imagine. We thank you for your mercy and forgiveness. Father, I pray if anyone here in this room needs to spend time with you today, needs to do some business with you today, Father, I pray this will be the day and the hour that it happens. And Father, is anyone here not sure of their eternal destination? They're not sure they, they have a relationship with you. Father, I pray that this will be the day and the hour. They will take that time to make sure. Father, anything that happens here, I'll be quick to give you the glory and the honor because it's your message. It's your work. For your honor and for your glory, dear God, I pray that you pull men and women, boys and girls, unto yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.